What a special day for Matthias and also our church family. That's the thing about baptisms is we get to celebrate together. There's another student in the next service getting baptized. And that's uh, nine people getting baptized this month. We thank God. We praise God for what he's doing, people experiencing Jesus. Maybe as you're watching baptisms, you might think about your own journey with water baptism. And if you haven't been baptized yet and you know it's the next step, just text the word baptism to our church phone number and we'll give the information and walk with you in this important step in terms of following Jesus. Now, we also have, you might have noticed in the lobby, some boxes. This is like a party in a box. Happy birthday, Jesus. And every year, Grace Kids sends those boxes home. One box per family. It's a chance to make a cake, play some games, and then, of course, focus on the Lord. And so at home, because we say this often, following Jesus isn't just about what happens one day, one hour in this building, but it's a relationship 24-7, includes at home, celebrating and savoring the goodness of the Lord. In this new series, we are seeing the glory of God. That's the series, and that's both looking back, the birth of Christ, currently, right now, today, let's lift up our eyes, seeing the glory of the Lord, putting our eyes on Jesus, and then looking forward to what is yet to come. And today we have something special that we do a few times during the year, and it's an opportunity for prayer, for healing, our elders, when the message is finished, will be available across in front of the stage here, and you can come forward for healing and prayer. Now, in James chapter 5, the Bible says to gather the elders, and they anoint with oil, and there's prayers for healing. And as we've done this, we've seen so many incredible stories where God has healed people. And I want to let you know, because during the service you might think about that, is there an area of your life where you really need healing right now? And as the message concludes, you're going to have the opportunity to come forward and receive prayer from the elders. And we do this not because it's a special oil, but God's word says it. This is God's design, God's plan right out of scripture. And this is what God sets up and he heals. And our God is a healer. So that is coming today as well. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that in music and singing, in our relationships, in baptism, in prayer, in the word, we experience you. And that's our heart's desire today, is to experience you and draw close to you, Jesus. We pray that you would be glorified and we would see your glory. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen. Let's set the table for this series, give it some framework. We're going to begin with a key word, and it's the word glory. Everybody say glory. 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 You see the word glory throughout the Bible. What does this word mean? It's a rich word with many meanings. It includes importance, weight, honor, majesty, reverence. It's also a word of praise. When we say glory, we're praising the Lord. Everybody say glory. glory. That's it. You say it from the heart. Glory. We want to give glory to God. And when we do that together, we're praising the Lord. Now, throughout the Bible, you know, people are saying glory, and they're giving glory to God not only with their mouths, but with their lives. And there's a prophet in the Old Testament. His name is Habakkuk. I'm going to start with this verse because this verse, again, sets the table for the series. Chapter 2 in verse 14, the prophet Habakkuk declares, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
Now, who is this prophet, Habakkuk? It's a very small book, three chapters. You could skip over it pretty easily when you're going through the Bible. Habakkuk in the Old Testament was a prophet who was living during a very difficult time. He was watching his people, one of the Israelites, being invaded by the Babylonians. It was a violent time. It was a time where there was injustice. It was a time of suffering. It was a time with a lot of questions. Maybe you've had questions in your own life, like, why is life playing out this way? This doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem fair. This doesn't make sense. And the prophet went to God and was honest with God. Have a deep conversation with God. You're never going to shock God with your honesty. When you tell him what you're really thinking and feeling, he's never going to be surprised. Oh, really? I didn't know. Uh, That's not going to happen. And so instead of just shallow prayers and a shallow walk with God, Habakkuk goes deep and he has this conversation and God meets him there. When you go deep, God will meet you there. When you bring your honest, humble questions, concerns, things that don't add up, God will meet you there. And it's a reminder throughout Scripture in the Psalms that we can go deep with God. Habakkuk is trying to make sense of it, trying to understand God, and he's seeking God. Now, he gets, throughout these three chapters, he arrives at a point where he makes a decision. He says, even though the cattle are not in the stalls, in other words, there's not a lot of animals, and when I look at the trees, there's not a lot of fruit. There really isn't a harvest. And here's this decision. Yet I will praise the Lord. I will rejoice in my God. And then he says, the Lord makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to walk on the heights. In the middle of the lack, in the middle of the disappointment, he puts a stake in the ground and says, yet I will praise the Lord. And as he praises the Lord in God's glory, he then rises above. He's in the reality and he understands the reality. He also rises above. My feet will be like the feet of a deep praising the Lord. Now, when you consider the prophet Habakkuk and his journey through that, in his honesty, in his decision to praise the Lord, he declares this, the glory of the Lord, picture that, will cover the earth like the water covers the seas. In a time where there was disappointment and he didn't feel like he was seeing much of God's glory, he saw the fullness of God's glory. With his eyes, he didn't see as much manifest glory, but prophetically, future, with faith, he saw the glory of the Lord covering the earth like the water covers the seas. The fullness of God's glory. Theologically, there's a phrase, already and not yet. The kingdom of God is already here and also not yet fully here. We're waiting for the consummation. And right now, we see glimpses of the glory of God, but we also look forward to the fullness of the glory of God. And so right now, today, we look back and celebrate the birth of Christ. We look now to Jesus, but we also look forward in this fullness of God, this increasing glory of God in our own lives and on the earth as we await the second coming of Jesus. This gives us a framework, and you say, well, what is God doing? Throughout the Bible, God is gathering people, gathering people from all nations and generations to himself. Jesus is the good shepherd. We are the sheep, and he's gathering. As Jesus is lifted up, he will draw people to himself. God is glorified as people are gathered and experience the goodness of God. I'm going to say that again. God is glorified as he gathers people to experience the goodness of God. 
Now, you might be thinking already, well, glory of God, it's grandiose, it's a little abstract, it's wonderful, it's mysterious. What do we actually do? And here's the three things I want to highlight for us today. Three words, seeing, savoring, and spreading the glory of God. Seeing, savoring, and spreading. Let's say those three words together. Seeing, savoring, and spreading the glory of God. I'll ask you a question. Are you seeing, savoring, and spreading the glory of God? We're going to dive into more Old Testament today. We're going to start in Isaiah chapter 60. If you have a Bible, if you brought a Bible, or you want to find it on your phone, Isaiah chapter 60, we begin with seeing, seeing the glory of God. And you say, well, what's important about seeing the glory of God? Seeing brings hope for people who are tempted to despair. Let me ask you, have you been tempted to despair lately? Because of a financial situation, a health situation, a work situation, maybe a family situation, are you tempted to despair in any way today? Well, seeing the glory of God brings hope for people who are tempted to despair. Isaiah chapter 60, starting in verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people's. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Isaiah is a prophet. He's poetic, and he's describing the plan and purposes of God. Listen to this sentence. I think this is so powerful. I think this is for today. Thick darkness is over the people, but the Lord rises upon you. Have you seen any thick darkness in 2021? There's darkness, yet... The Lord rises upon you, and there's the hope. The very first question in the Bible, God asks this question, where are you? Where are you? And there's three ways you could think about answering that. First, you might think about it geographically. Where are you? You're on South Auburn Way in Auburn, Washington, right? Just checked in, Grace Community Church. Physically, geographically, you're here. Where are you? Well, let's go a little deeper. Where are you? What about your circumstances? Where are you in life right now? Where are your relationships? Where's your job? Where's your serving? Like, where's the pain points? Where are the dreams? Where's the passion? Like, where are you in life right now? Not just geographically, but where are you in terms of circumstances in your life? Now, let's go a little deeper. And where are you on the deepest level? Where is your mindset and where is your soul? Not just your geography, not just the circumstances of life, but in the deepest place of your being, where is your mindset and where is your soul? And as you read the Bible, you read about different options and places that you can go, really, not just physically go, but where does your mind and your soul go? And these are some to avoid, and these are ones we want to say, no, thank you, I don't want to go there. Here's eight that I thought of in the Bible and see in the Scripture. Number one, you could be hiding in the garden in a garden of guilt. That's Adam and Eve. And you hear that, you think, no, no, thank you, I don't want to be there. You could be next to a burning bush making excuses. That's Moses. God has revealed himself, but he just keeps making excuses on why he's not going to serve the Lord. He just says, find someone else to do it, finally. 
You could be in the belly of a fish running away from God. There could be people here today. You've really been running away from God. You didn't even want to be here today. You're just kind of doing it for someone else. You can't even believe you're kind of sitting in here. And there's rebellion for Jonah going the wrong way. Here's the fourth one. You could be in the wilderness, just keep doing the same thing over and over again, the same circles. A whole generation of the Israelites just keeps doing the same pattern and staying in the wilderness, stuck. Here's a fifth place. You could be in a cave, scared. The prophet Elijah saw victories from the Lord, but then Jezebel scared him. And he was scared and went into the cave kind of exhausted and depleted. You might be in a cave today. And then also, you could be next to a wall with a delay, kind of stuck. Like, you know what the plan is? You've been serving God, but you're stuck. And Samballot and Tobiah, they've just stepped in. They've opposed, they blocked, and now you're kind of stuck. Or it could be a seventh place that you're checking, 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 because you're worried, and like Gideon, you're, you're waiting and kind of worried and insecure, and like, should I go forward? And that's where Gideon was. That's a real place. And then the last one, you could be next to a rooster that crows three times. That's Peter, after he publicly doesn't want to glorify Jesus and represent Jesus publicly. So again, publicly, no thanks. And now the rooster crows to remind him that it's a public proclamation with Jesus. He's denied the Lord. Those are some places to avoid. And as we think about those places, I want to encourage you and say, you don't have to stay there. All of us have probably been in all of these places at different points in our journey, but we don't have to stay in those places. In fact, God calls us out of those places for his glory. He's got a better way. He's got a better place for our soul, for following him, and set apart, called out. That's what God's doing. He's calling his people out. I believe, you know, COVID has taken some people to some strange places. And it's easy to land in those places and just settle into those places. But God is calling us out of places that aren't healthy, that are destructive, that are distant. And he's gathering his people. And we hear his voice and we respond. Now, Isaiah wrote this in chapter 42. You say, well, where are we going to go? If we're not going to go to those places, because those places are popular and common, where are we going to go? And we're going to go to Jesus. That's where we're going to go. Isaiah chapter 42, starting in verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one whom I delight. I will put my spirit in him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. Uh, And then also uh, we see um, this describing Jesus. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. And you saw this imagery in this passage here. A reed. A reed. Maybe you felt bruised or kind of broken in some ways. And God is not going to crush that bruised reed, but instead he's going to build up that reed. And that, that imagery shows the tenderness of Jesus. We also see the holiness of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, the power of Jesus. There's a lot of God's glory in those short verses there. 
But going to Jesus is where Isaiah is pointing the people, this Messiah who is to come. And I want to share with you, when you think about seeing the glory of God, hope for people who would be tempted to despair, I want to share with you from Tim Keller. Tim Keller is a well-known pastor in America on the East Coast, and he is also a voice in our nation. He's been thoughtful, he's been sensitive, uh, aware, intelligent. What's interesting is he doesn't just speak like in Christian settings, but like on YouTube. I remember watching his talk at Google. And if you go on YouTube, you can see one from 13 years ago, like 10 years ago, five years ago. And he brings a message to the nation about God gathering people back to himself and God's existence and goodness. Right now, Tim Keller has cancer and we're all not sure how much longer he's going to live. And he's been very vulnerable and transparent in that pain because there'd be a lot of temptations to despair. I feel like he's someone who's seeing Jesus, seeing the glory of Jesus in the middle of his suffering. And it's a both and. He's seeing God's glory and he's suffering. Uh, this is what he wrote, growing my faith in the face of death. I spent a lifetime counseling others before my diagnosis Will I be able to take my own advice? Hear the humility there? Like, I've been talking to people their whole lives who have been dying. Now will I take my own advice? He's been a pastor since 1975. He says that he's sat at countless bedsides, and he's watched people take their final breath. I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and he says, I was caught completely unprepared. I thought it was just an intestinal infection, and there was not much cause for concern. But now I learned that I already had an agent of death growing inside of me. I spent a few harrowing minutes looking online at the dire survival statistics for pancreatic cancer. My wife Kathy and I spent much time in tears and disbelief. We were both turning 70, but we felt strong, clear-minded, and capable of nearly all the things we have done in the past 50 years. He asked this question, why is it that people in prosperous modern societies seem to struggle so much with the existence of evil, suffering, and death? And then he shares, most particularly for me as a Christian, Jesus' costly love, death, and resurrection, they had become not just something I believed and filed away, but a hope that sustained me all day. I pray this prayer daily. Occasionally it electrifies, but ultimately it always calms. This is the prayer that Tim Keller is praying every day. As I lay down in sleep and rose this morning only by your grace, keep me in the joyful, lively remembrance that whatever happens, I will someday know my final rising because Jesus Christ laid down in death for me and rose for my justification. That's what he's praying every day. It's great to have a go-to verse or a go-to prayer when you're in the middle of the eye of the storm and suffering. He says, that's been my prayer. And it's really a both and. He says, I can sincerely say that without any sentimentality or exaggeration that I've never been happier in my life, that I've never had more days filled with comfort, but it is equally true that I've never had so many days of grief. It's both comfort and grief, ultimate joy, seeing Jesus. They remind me to reorient myself to the convictions of my head and the processes of my heart when I take time to remember how to deal with my fears 
and savor my joys. The consolations are stronger and sweeter than ever. And here's the final quote. I have stage four pancreatic cancer, but it is endlessly comforting to have a God who is both infinitely more wise and more loving than I am. He has plenty of good reasons for everything he does and allows. That I cannot know, and therein is my hope and my strength. Seeing Jesus and the glory of Jesus makes all the difference and brings hope for people who are tempted to despair. Not only do we see the glory of Jesus, but we also savor the glory of the Lord. Savoring brings joy for people who are tempted to distance. We have a temptation right now to distance. There's a lot of distancing happening. Distance from God, distance from his word in our culture, sometimes distance from family and friends or healthy habits. Instead of distancing, you know, savoring God's presence brings a joy. Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 3. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels from Midian and Ephah. And all from Sheba, they will come, bearing golden incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. The vision here, again, the prophet knows the realities of the current, but also rises above, sees with his eyes, but sees with his faith. And he sees people coming, God gathering, people from all nations, distant nations. These places were hundreds of miles away. Tarshish, the furthest place away. These were Arabian places. Do you know how many people that have grown up in a Muslim tradition today are turning to Jesus around the world? So many people, dreams and visions. God is gathering people from all backgrounds and nations today. And Isaiah is describing this inspiring picture. Now, uh, this gathering, this savoring, do you spend time savoring God during the week? Enjoying his word, enjoying closeness with the Holy Spirit, enjoying Jesus, worshiping, do it, just savor and enjoy God. It's part of glorifying God and enjoying God. Is that part of your week? What does that look like? And, uh, you know, as I was uh, working out a 24-hour fitness this week, I had this thought. Uh, lifting weights isn't that exciting, kind of a check-the-box thing. So my mind's pretty active, and as I'm lifting there, I'm thinking, hmm, it doesn't look like there's a lot of people in the gym. And then I started to get curious, and I was like, I wonder how many people have memberships, but like never come to the gym. Have you ever had that thought? Like who's got a membership, but doesn't come to the gym? Now I want you to guess with me. So if 0% have memberships and never come to the gym, uh, that means everyone's coming to the gym, right? So 0% would be one guess. You kind of picture that. Everyone who has a membership, they come to the gym. Or 100% never come to the gym, you're probably not going to guess that because you've seen people at a gym, right? Uh, so what number, when you think about this, what number of people in our country do you think have a membership and never go to the gym? You got a number in mind? 
Okay, so like, like 20%? Any around 20? Anyone around? Okay, if you around 20, how about around 30 or 40%? A few more hands? Okay, great. 50%? Anyone want to say it's half and half? Okay, how about 60%? All right, all right. Pretty. Anyone think above 60%? <laughs> hey, you're saying there's a lot of people out there who have a membership and never go to the gym. You know, it was interesting. I saw just a little article. NPR said that gyms actually target people who they think will never come to the gym <laughs> because that's the biggest payoff for a business. And USA Today reports that 67% of the people in our country that have a membership and they never go to the gym. It's paid in full. The equipment's good. There's a staff there. There's resources. Those people would say, yes, it's healthy. It's great to take care of your body, to work out. 67% have a membership and never go to the gym. It's easy in a relationship with God to be in his family, but never really savor the Lord during the week. Never really enjoy the Lord during the week. Never exercise our faith that much during the week. And here's the shift. Instead of distancing, savoring. Savoring. Stepping into his presence. Leaning in in his glory and his closeness. When I was reading about savoring in the Bible, I was looking at Moses who went up on the mountain we have access to this throne of grace. Moses would go up to the mountain. Some people really feel close to God and the mountains. You know, some people are going to say the golf course. We can talk about that later. Uh, you can experience God in the golf course. But, but the mountains, you know, for some it's the ocean. But maybe you have a place that you go. Moses would go up to the mountains and God would reveal himself in this savoring of God and his word. Forty days. What about Joshua? They had a tent set up where if someone was hungry to be with God, the tent of meeting. Joshua lingered in the tent of meeting. Do you ever linger in God's presence? Like you kind of push aside the to-do list in the morning. You don't just pick up your phone and like, you know, constant social media, social media, social media. You're like, I just want to linger in the presence of God. Open up the word, turn on the praise music. Joshua lingered. What about David? As you read the Psalms, he opens up his heart to the Lord. Psalm 62, 8, pour out your heart to the Lord. Part of savoring God's presence is sharing deeply, opening up, taking down the walls, taking down the pride, taking down the self-sufficiency, and savoring the goodness of the Lord. What about Mary? Mary savored Jesus' presence well, Martha was right there. Martha was mad at Mary. Sometimes you're going to people... They resent you for savoring the presence and enjoying God. And Martha's like, get busy, do more. Come on, don't you know this is a cultural performance and it, all that matters is what we do around here? And Mary's like, no, actually I'm going countercultural and your resentment isn't going to stop me from savoring my relationship with Jesus. What about John the Apostle? Wrote the Gospel of John and four other books. The Bible says he was leaning in. Leaning back, you picture this meal, Jesus is there, reclining. he's reclining, leaning in. Can you imagine just leaning in against Jesus in this place of nothing else is more important? This place of acceptance and security and closeness? Lean in. And Anna was a widow, 84 years old, 
And you know where she wanted to be? She wanted to be at church because that's where she was praising God and fasting and worshiping and listening to God and just savoring God's presence. There was a massive void in her life. She was real about that, but she also knew how to rise above it and savoring God's presence. God used her in mighty ways. These are people who come, a couple things. They come hungry, they come humble, they come honest to God. They have an urgency to seek God, and they come with their minds and their hearts. When you come to God and savor the Lord and your relationship with him, come with your mind and your heart. Come humble, come honest, come hungry. And uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience his presence and his power. It makes all the difference in our days. When we experience his presence and his power, it makes all the difference. All of us go through different parts of life where there's a process. And I don't know if you're like me, but a process is not always the easiest. I I like the end goal. I like the result. But then there's a process to getting there. You know what makes a difference in the process? is when you experience the presence and the power of God during the process. The prophet looked out and said, it was drought in the land. We don't have a downpour yet, but I see a cloud like the size of a fist. A downpour is coming. Right now I just see the cloud the size of a fist. But he rejoiced at that stage and each stage beyond that and rejoiced at the downpour because the prophet knew the presence and the power of God when the people in the land just knew drought. They just talked about drought all the time, but the prophet knew the presence and the power of God, and so the process looked different for him. Savor. See, and then don't rush away, but savor the presence of God. When you uh, are savoring God's presence, this is what happens. God reveals his glory, he reveals more of his word, and he refuels his people. If we don't savor God, we're not going to have those fresh words from the Lord. If we don't savor God, we're not going to be refueled in our souls. We're going to be weary and exhausted all the time. Savor the Lord, and you will feel alive, and he will set your soul on fire. Those who savor the Lord, God sets their souls on fire. You rush past the Lord, you end up in kind of religion and going through the motions. You savor the Lord, there's this deep abiding. It's powerful. So we're seeing the Lord, we're savoring the Lord, and it leads to spreading, spreading God's glory. And this brings purpose for people who are tempted to drift. It's easy to drift today. It's easy to be distracted today. It's easy to be deceived in different ways today. But we want to be people of purpose. As you read through the Bible, there's a North Star of purpose, and it's for all churches and all followers of Jesus. It's often called the Great Commission, and Jesus repeatedly, and at the end of his life, doesn't want to be ambiguous. For all of his followers, he says, go make disciples. Go make disciples. And I believe when we come before the Lord, that's where we're held accountable, you know, how we've lived. I believe that's going to be front and center, make disciples. Now, let's break that down because making disciples sounds kind of I don't know, like a factory. Like you go in, you make them, you manufacture them, you put them together, there's a formula. That isn't it. This is relational. Making disciples, let me put it in maybe more simple language. Help people follow Jesus. Help people come to know Jesus. Help people walk with Jesus. Help people follow Jesus. 
And the question really, a uh, primary question for us and the elders, um, prayerfully looking you know, at our church, here's the main thing in our church, make disciples. That's the main thing in our church. The life groups are the best context, the elders believe, for making disciples. So the question is, how are you making disciples, not just for church staff, but all followers of Jesus, how are you making disciples and how's that working? It's going to be different for everybody, different style, different personalities, different gifts, different neighborhoods, different settings. But the commonality in terms of glorifying God is making disciples. That's primary for our church, helping people follow Jesus. That could be come to know Jesus for the first time. That could be growing and going deep with Jesus. But help people take the next step following Jesus. Now, with that being said, you know, glorifying God in that way, uh, Jesus is the light of the world, and as we make disciples, we're shining the light of Jesus. And I was taking my dog, Bella, for a walk, and uh, we're trying to get a few more walks in for Bella. We've been told Bella uh, is about 20 pounds over where she should be, and we just are generous with the meals, there's food from the table, and so we're doing more walks. And I'm walking Bella more these days, and... Um, when I walk Bella, I wear this big Costco, inexpensive, dark gray jacket. And it's probably not the best jacket at night, but it keeps me dry in the rain. And it's, it's a jacket where as I'm walking and cars are going by, I'm thinking I'm not that visible. And I started noticing this week other people walking their dog in our neighborhood. And I noticed I saw one couple and they both have lights on their forehead. Have you seen those? You strap them on, and it's like, okay, you can see them coming. Probably helpful for a car, and they both have lights on their forehead. But they are shining some light. They are reflecting. Uh, and, and then there's another couple I looked out, and they're kind of LED-oriented, and they have LED lights on them and a little LED collar for their dog. And it's not just a big light on the forehead, but now we've got LED lights, and again, the light's shining. And then... I saw this this week. This is next level. Christmas lights <laughs> on husband and wife. They go on, they go off, they blink, they're walking their dog, and then the stroller has it, the dog has it. I mean, it's like walking Christmas trees. There's no way a car could miss that. And I'm kind of feeling like maybe I need to have more light. And, and maybe you've been looking around and feeling like, wow, because we're reflectors. That's what we are. We abide with Jesus. We experience his light, and then we reflect his light in the world. It's not our light. It's his light. And maybe you've been, you know, in your own style. Maybe you've been shining the light where you live, work, learn, or play. Or maybe it just kind of hasn't really been shining that much. You can choose, you know, from those examples in our neighborhood of walking the dog, what relates to where you're at and, and a little more inspirational is Isaiah chapter 42. And in verse 5, Isaiah writes this. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who are in darkness. Now, that word righteous, 
What does that mean? When you read the word righteous in the Bible, there's two aspects to that. Very important. One aspect is a right standing with God, a right relationship with God that is through grace, faith in Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. You're secure. You're in God's family. And Jesus' righteousness has been given to you. It's been given as a gift. You gave him your sin. He gave you his righteousness. You are righteous. You don't earn righteousness. It's a gift. And this is a right relationship with God. And that's part of being. But there's a second meaning, and righteous also means doing. It's not just being in a relationship with Jesus that's secure, but it's doing. It's the right attitude. It's the right words. It's the right timing. It's the right actions. It's the right way you treat people in relationships. It's the right ways of glorifying God, and it's the doing. And both come together, a secure identity, then your actions align with your identity, and you live that out. When you do that, you shine the light of the Lord. You know, when you think about Jesus' first coming, it's very different than his second coming. He's the light of the world. His first coming, there were a few people. His second coming, everyone is going to see the return of Jesus. His first coming was with some animals stable, kind of meek and lowly. A lot of people overlooked his first coming. No one's overlooking his second coming. His first coming, people kind of ignored him, no room at the end. His second coming, there's going to be opposition to him. His first coming, again, he came as a child, a baby. His second coming, he's coming as the King of kings and Lord of lords. There was an advent to his first coming. Right now we live in between his first and second coming, and there's an advent to his second coming. Here's what's consistent throughout all these different times. Jesus is the light of the world. He's gathering people to himself, and his followers bring him glory. That doesn't change. And, uh, you know, one thing that's been helpful for our staff and elders is this acronym BLESS. Because how do you spread the glory of God? You can begin with prayer and start praying for people. You can listen to people. You glorify God by listening well. You can eat with people, have a meal or coffee. You can serve and meet needs. And you can also share your faith or share the gospel, share about Jesus. And those are ways to bless people. God has blessed you to bless other people and spread his glory locally and globally. And that's a wonderful opportunity. What does it look like? It's going to be different for everyone. I want to share this um, just brief encouragement. It was a story actually last night. I was talking to a guy I'd never met before. He's a young adult, and he's working two jobs. And we had a conversation. I think he really wanted to share about his life situation. He says he gets about three hours of sleep a night working two jobs. And then he talked about his jobs and what's happening. And so just listening, connecting. I was enjoying it. I was intrigued. I don't meet too many people like that. One of his jobs is up, you know, at the pass in the snow and late night. And, and it's pretty adventurous. Uh, so he shared with me a little more about his life. And then I asked the question after a little while. I just said, what about Jesus? I didn't plan to say that. Maybe it's not the smoothest. But I felt like this is a point in the conversation where we could talk about faith. And so I asked him, what about Jesus? And he said, I don't have any time. And in one sense, that is perfectly logical. If you're working two jobs and sleeping only a couple hours a night, like you might think, I just don't have any time. And what I said to him was, well, it's a relationship. And it's about God's love. And then he said, 
you know, I've wondered if that would be worth it. And he was just being honest. I've wondered if that would be worth it. And I felt in that conversation like there was the glory of God. He didn't say, I'm ready, I want to follow Jesus. But in that conversation, you have moments during the week. It could be when you're serving someone, listening to someone. It could be when you're sharing your story. It could be when you're praying for someone. But these moments, these glory moments, the glory of God, that we would see Jesus, we would savor the Lord, and we would spread his glory. And the fullness of his glory the fullness of his presence in our lives. We are in Christ. Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Seeing brings hope to people who are tempted to despair. Savoring brings joy to people who are tempted to be distant. And you know what? Spreading God's glory brings purpose to people who are often distracted. And we are seeing, savoring, and spreading the glory of God together. I want to give an invitation right now. And uh, I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 42, verses 8 and 9. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Seeing, savoring, spreading God's glory in new ways. I want to invite right now the elders to come forward and also the worship team to come forward. And the elders are going to be across the front, and then the worship team's going to lead us in praise. And if you're here today and you have a desire to seek God, maybe it's a savoring his presence, healing in his life, healing that he brings, uh, this is a time where you can come forward for prayer. God says, my house my house, where we are right now, will be a house of prayer, prayer for all nations. When we uh, together have this time of prayer, maybe it's a time for you where you pray in your seat and you're seeking God where you're sitting. But maybe it's a time for you where you come forward and you receive prayer with oil for healing. Do you need healing today? God says come. There's no cost. There's no tricks. There's no gimmicks. You just come and receive prayer. Let's stand up together right now and I'm going to read a couple more verses from Isaiah and then I'm going to pray Isaiah 35 verse 2 they will see the glory of the Lord the splendor of our God Isaiah 46 13 I will grant salvation in Zion my glory to Israel Isaiah 53 6 seek the Lord while he may be found call on him while he is near in Isaiah 61.3, God wants to give you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You will be oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Father God, we seek you at this time. We don't harden our hearts. We come to you. God, lift our eyes above the challenges we face that we may see you, Jesus, that we may savor this time with you. God, we pray that you would heal, guide this time of prayer right now, that you would heal and move in power, restore as only you can do. God, renew us that we may spread your glory in new ways. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.